Battle of the Labyrinth, Chapter 9, I Scoop Poop. I lost hope when I saw the horse's teeth. As I got closer to the fence, I held my shirt over my nose to block the smell. One stallion waded through the muck I'm and whinnied angrily at I'm me. Eve. He bared his teeth and I'm pointed like a bear. And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood. Join us as we journey back through a childhood favorite series. And see what lessons we can learn as adults from these books that meant so much to us as kids. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to Return to Camp Half-Blood. This week, Neve was not able to join us because she's taking a personal week. Uh, but instead, we have the lovely Erica from Seaweed Brain cosplaying Neve this week. Yes! Erica, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hey. Okay. Um, hi. I'm <laughs> I'm from Seaweed Brain. I've been on this podcast before. I have my own podcast. My podcast is currently talking about the son of Neptune, and we're moving into Mark of Athena. So it's really, really lovely to be back to talk about the original series and the golden books back in the golden years. Happy to be here. Very happy to have you. Yeah, as always. And this week, we will be discussing chapters 9 and 10 of the Battle of the Labyrinth. I scoop poop and we play the game show of death through the theme of stubbornness. And in the nature of stubbornness and Ava and I not wanting to do the, the <laughs> summary, <laughs> we, we have pricked Erica into volunteering to do the summary for us this week. Indeed we have. Um, remind me how much time I have. So you're going to have 30 seconds. Yeah. Okay. Which is a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> and I, I will give you a three second count in uh, whenever you're ready. I took notes on my phone, so I'm fuck. I'm, I'm not swearing. I'm ready. Oh, you can swear. You can on, on ours. I'm fucking ready. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for when we had Diego and Sam on, we tried not to swear and it didn't go well. It was hard. I, I try to avoid adult topics when they're around, but it's really know. hard. It's it really hard. Up. It just shit comes up. Shit comes up. <laughs> All right. Three. Frankly, a lot of shit happens in this chapter, so go easy yes, on me. Okay, there is you're right in a lot of ways. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so in I Scoop Poop, Percy has to clean up the stables in order to escape from Triple G Ranch. He thinks about going about this in the way that Hercules did it with um, washing all of the water into a nearby stream, but he has a conversation with the naiad there. And in keeping with the environmental themes in this book, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it in my own way. He has a huge ass power up where he feels the tug behind his stomach and he makes water appear out of nowhere because it's all, it's the ocean has been inside of him all along. And he cleans up the stable. They go back to the uh, ranch. Obviously, Garion is an asshole and he's not going to let them leave. So Percy says a prayer to Artemis and Apollo, shoots an arrow, kills Garion straight through all three hearts huge deal important keep it that in mind for later and then uh they Nico, oh, they time's up me. what yeah it was a really solid summary of it was, really, it was a very <laughs> solid summary disappointed in myself it's 30 no, seconds you nailed it for the first my one. whole day has been ruined 30 no. seconds is always so much less than expected it really is yeah, well, that was only like half. That was like most, I guess, of Ice Scoop Poop, and none of we play the game show of death. 
That's what frequently we find happens on this podcast during those summaries. It's true. I think the only person to do like a fully successful summary has been Diego. You're right. Dang it. Big brain boys. <laughs> I do th- I do think we should keep having our guests do it. I think it's very fun. I agree. Watch. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. What else do we need to fill in that Erica forgot? Nico. Nico summons Bianca. Minos first. Yes. Minos. For some unclear reason, we don't really know (laughs) what this little potion actually does. The the unclearness of the rules of magic in these chapters we'll get to. Yeah. Because they're a lot. Uh, but we but Bianca comes because Percy's there and she'd rather talk to Percy than Nico. Um (laughs) very awkward. And then she tells him she has the important line about telling Nico that um, he has to let go of his grudges because holding grudges is the fatal flaw for children of Hades. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. because character flaws are part of biological inheritance. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then also the dream about um, Daedalus, I think. Yeah. Yes, Daedalus kills a child. Yes. Yep. This is the Perdix, the moment where Daedalus yep. pushes Perdix off of the tower and sees the face of Janus flicker before him and the vo- booming voice of Athena dooming him forever. How stressful. That was pretty badass, though, on her part. It, yeah, I would do that if I was her. It was way more like, I mean, I guess because it is actually from Greek myth, but it was way, way more Athena in line with how she is in Greek myth than Athena in these books, like the the anger. <laughs> I definitely, yeah, I agree. But it was kind of, it's funny because it's also a little underwhelming because it's, I'm going to curse you forever. Here's a tattoo. Yeah. But, you know. Um, and then also the last part of these, oh no, then we have a dream with Luke. Well, a lot did happen. Happen in that Luke visit dream though? Not really. Not they really. just see Kelly again. They say he's wearing like cargo pants, and that's kind of the end of the dream. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like we get it. He's gone downhill. Like <laughs> it's what they're like. He's dressed for battle. He's wearing cargo pants and a sweat and a t-shirt. Relatable. As you dress for battle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I don't think anything really gets revealed in that except that they're attacking camp soon, which we already knew. I think they're trying to raise the stakes a little bit. Um, And then we have the game show with the the Sphinx, which is a weird metaphor for standardized testing. Yes. They get the spider from Euridian, question mark. Yes. Euridian, and then they follow the mechanical spider to Annabeth having this funny slash cringy run-in with the Sphinx, um, which was funny, or I feel like when we had to take standardized tests before we were all uh, theater majors. Yes, yes, I agree. True. Yeah, it, it felt a little different watching it back for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> all right, I think that's everything that happened. Ava, what songs have you picked for us this week to describe what has happened in these chapters? Okay, um, apologies for any background noise. My sweet mates are watching Phineas and Ferb in the common room, and I did tell them to turn it down. It'll be a few minutes. Should we um, start a Phineas and Ferb podcast? I'm just putting it out there. Carter so strong, yes. Phineas and Ferb stands. I <laughs> so think that's I. great. 
we could a collaborative a, a collaborative uh, Patreon series. <laughs> I mean, let us know, <laughs> listeners. Like, not saying I wouldn't. <laughs> um, but the the songs, right? That was the original. Okay, so for chapter nine. I chose, this is the one I was a little less confident about, um, but I chose Rain on Me by Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande because he does make it rain on the horses and that's how it goes away. The, <laughs> I didn't necessarily like see any like big, like, you know, literary themes that like you typically kind of, I don't know. I just kind of saw like, there was a lot of water in this chapter and I was trying to think of like what songs sort of had to do with water because I was on a time crunch um and I ended up with rain on me and um I love it I think it's funny um but for the second one I chose let her go by passenger because that's what Nico had to do and the lyrics hit pretty hard but that specific situation does he actually let her go though like he he, it takes him years still after this moment it's true he never really does. As no. We find out, yeah, in Son of Neptune, he went back to the underworld to try and get her back. Couldn't do that anymore. Mm-mm. She's getting reincarnated. Spoiler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That's so nice. So sweet. Love Bianca. Yeah. All right. What did we forget about these chapters? I mean, I'll say it again. Like, I forgot so much of this book. I don't remember so much of this book. I don't know why. It's a little embarrassing, actually. It's like the Battle of the Labyrinth phenomenon. It's like the Berenstein, you know, the Berenstein Bears thing? Yes. Yes. The Mandela effect. Differently. Yes. yes. This is like the opposite of that, where just everyone blocked forgot the it. Battle of the Labyrinth because it was confusing and space and time were irrelevant in this book. And therefore, we had no way to like, lodge it into our little child brains at the time so it's always like oh my god I forgot all of these chapters even occurred I've got this whole plot yeah and also for me it was like directly following Titan's curse and I was like I, nothing's ever gonna come <laughs> I think it's 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 wild because I've enjoyed every moment of this book as we've been rereading it but yeah. I just didn't remember like, I didn't remember any, like, it's good. It's not bad. I didn't block it out because I didn't like it. I just couldn't remember any of it. I remember very small details. Like, I remember the fact that Percy washed out the stables. I did not remember how it happened. It happens in, like, a less good... Ava, how far into Avatar are you guys? We're not that far. We're like halfway through season one, I think. So okay, I'm gonna say this without spoiling then. But well, no, no, no. I know things. It's just okay. like, it's a lot of my sweet mates don't. Oh, how far are you into? I don't want to spoil for you. No, I'm I'm far. Do, okay, do not worry. So it's like a less good version of the scene where Katara pulls the the water droplets out of all the grass. Um, is but like makes a lot less sense. I'm sorry, am I to understand that Ava has never seen Avatar The Last Airbender all the way through? Not all the way through. I've seen most of it. I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to leave. I feel (laughs) disrespected and unsafe on the Zoom call. I've seen most of it. Okay. My sweet mates, though, they haven't seen like any. Some of my sweet mates haven't seen any of it, though. We're waiting until all of us are here so we could all watch it together. Yeah. How do you even avoid that, though? Uh, Whatever. It's okay. I forgive you. You're a good person. 
Uh, but yeah, that was a great comparison, Brayden. <laughs> it was. That, and that is something I know. So it was it was very confusing how he was like, so they're seashells, which means they are water. I was sort of confused about whether the water was coming from the seashells or the water was inside him all along. Like they were really, I feel like they were playing at both ends of that like idea about it. I want to believe that the water was inside him all along. That, yeah, like the seashells are like representative of how he's channeling the water. <laughs> and then I feel like they kind of, they kind of did this in the scene, but they also kind of wasted their chance to do like, to show how powerful, they do a little bit of like showing how powerful he is and like losing control of his power a little bit, but there were no consequences to it. I feel like it would have been cool if like the water got out of his control and like he destroyed the stables or something. I don't know. I Again, children's book, I can only ask so much of it. It can only get so dark so fast, but <laughs> if I were to write it, it would have gotten a lot darker right in that scene. <laughs> Not that these chapters in general are very dark, though. They're really dark in a lot of ways that you would not expect. Yeah, I think that, I mean, when I first went back, when our podcast went back and reread Battle of the Labyrinth, I really forgot about the Daedalus flashbacks and how depressing the story, his story is with the story of Perdix. Um, he went really, he, he turned really upset. He turned really sad, really angry. Um, yeah, and his version, the version of him that's in this story is... I think an interesting context, interesting contrast to the version of him in Cersei by Madeline Miller, where he also kind of plays a really big role. Um, so I kind of like, oh, it's right there. Wait, mine is also right here. I'm my still my copy. I'm still reading it, but I love okay. her dearly. But I feel like I feel like when I when I finish it, we have to do a bonus episode about it. Yeah, we I do. Really good. You should do that. Um, we haven't done that because Carter hasn't read it, <laughs> but mm. I think like. It's just interesting, I think, to parallel like Daedalus in the myth, an actual myth versus his portrayal in these two books, and also Athena in actual myth versus her portrayal in these books. Because obviously, like, you know, Daedalus wasn't actually a child of Athena because she didn't have children. She was just like their patron, hashtag Patreon. Right. Um, which just like it makes every, it makes things a little bit more complicated, a little bit more like convoluted um, in the books as far as like his behavior and his relationship with Athena and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting. We don't see a lot of Athena in the Percy Jackson books, especially this first series. She just kind of comes in and says a little angry thing to Percy and then leaves. But this that's why I think this book is so interesting where we see the most of her and the, the comparisons between Daedalus and Annabeth, their whole plot line story that, that weaves together. And I think it's interesting to see Athena this vengeful um, and how she she doesn't really, we establish that she doesn't play favorites with her children at this, this like halfway point in the book. And I think that's important for later on. Yeah. <laughs> what else, what else did we forget? I forgot that Kelly came back. Like, I really thought that she just had that little stint, you know, at the beginning and just kind of disappeared. But I forgot that she came back in any way, like, even though it was not exactly a legitimate, like, returning. But, like, it, you know. <laughs> the return of Kelly. <laughs> the return of Kelly. The return yeah. of Tori Kelly. I very much forgot that Luke put on cargo pants. 
Love that, that too. for him. He's going through it. <laughs> he, he is going through Sometimes, actually, even at my worst, I would never put on cargo pants. And therefore, I am better than Luke. There you go. And that's why you're better. Not because... That's he- <laughs> the only reason. That's the only thing that separates us from Luke is cargo yeah. pants. I actually do own cargo pants. So it turns out I'm not, I'm not better. It's different. It's different for women. I do agree. It is different for women. I have a pair of like, I don't know what counts. They're like, they're from Target. They're orange. They're like, quote, cargo pants. Like they look like I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like those yellow pants that I bought the other weekend are like cargo pants adjacent yeah same with mine. On social media cargo pants adjacent yes oh yes well i'll have to post a picture of our cargo pants yeah uh yes <laughs> indeed uh i also forgot about how the the sphinx chapter or not chapter but like little section of the chapter went down i remember the sphinx being there i remember it's a little game show but I forgot that it was an allegory for standardized testing. Me too. And I also forgot that there were facts. Like I really, I was like, oh, right, Sphinx. And I kind of remembered that the Sphinx was there altogether. But then when, I don't know the gender of the Sphinx. When they were like- um, Gender neutral. Okay, type. Amazing. Um, But when they were like, oh, fact, I was like, really like that is something I completely forgot like that had been wiped from my memory so I actually think the sphinx is the one thing that always will really always sticks out in my mind about this book I always remember the scene with really? and the sphinx yes I remember like telling my mom about it when I first read the book in elementary school and being like mom tests are dumb I'm smarter than tests I just remember Annabeth's like absolute frustration and like disappointment in not being able to like show up and deliver this like be herself and like give this thing that she's like I'm ready like I'm gonna like beat the freaking sphinx like I've studied and then it's like a huge disappointment to her I don't know that feeling has always stuck with me (laughs) that's yeah that's real yeah (laughs) just just thinking about tests all right we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be right back when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we are back. And now it is time to talk about the theme of stubbornness and where we found stubbornness in these chapters. So who would like to go first? Where's the first place we saw stubbornness? I suppose I will go first. <laughs> I The first thing that comes to mind is the Nereid. 
uh, and her river, she experienced this once before with Hercules and she decided to be stubborn and stand up and say, little shit, you are not using my river to clean out these stables to help yourself and disregard uh, the environment and me. It's a weird like simultaneous metaphor for the environment and like feminism at the same time. Uh, And I think it's weirdly done well. which is not what I can often say for Rick when he tries to to do things like that. But I think I think it's also interesting how she she's being very stubborn. She's standing up for herself. And then Percy's like, wait, but she's scared. Like she doesn't, she she's committing to this, but she doesn't actually think that she can stop him. Yeah. It's hashtag ecofeminism or ecological feminism, which, um, you know, examining connections between women and nature. The naiads and nereids themselves are perhaps ecofeminists, just in their very existence, being female deities at one with nature. They are nature. They represent nature. <laughs> yeah, the the whole nature system of both Greek mythology and Percy Jackson is very along a gender binary that is really interesting because we see all of the nature spirits are female. The the Nereids, the Naiads, the Dryads, the, what are the air ones called? Oh no. The, in the Roman one, they're, they're the, vent, oh no, the Ventus, right? The, the Ventus are the, those are the, horses. the, the horses and the, like, the guys who wear eyeliner. I don't, they're like, they're like mean and like, you know, I, I could not get that across right. But they're, they're like, they're like the bad boy. But there's, there's one that's, um, Me- Melly, no. Is that who is she? Millie is? Yes. Oh. Because they're the, they're like the spirits of like the untamed air. Yeah, and then the there's like, ads. yeah, uh, but. I know who, I know what you're talking about now. It's the, they're the, the nymph, the air nymphs. Are yeah. maybe it's just nymph. I don't know. There is a name. Oh, I, I, huh. I Animoy will trust you on that. Perhaps. This is no, we're failing. We're really we failing. so often encounter. <laughs> we have never pretended to be experts. Animoy is the Roman mythology name for the venti, the winds. In okay. Hmm. Wait, okay. Oh, there's so many names for nymphs. And it gets yeah. like specific. There's mountain nymphs. There's different the names based of, on the nymphs of the breezes were called the ore. Ah. That yes. that sounds right. That's good. And then the nebulae. Right. And then there are also uh, harpies. Are they technically like nature creatures? I don't know. Good question. Why? Uh. And then there are the satyrs who are technically male, but like we know that's they, they be fucking with that gender binary. Satyrs are not cis masculine people. No, <laughs> yeah. no chance. And and that that's where like the interesting like gender binary com- comes is we see the all the nymphs are feminine. I'm gonna use feminine and masculine because I'm not gonna assume the genders of any of these characters. Um, but but the nymphs are all portrayed feminine. The the satyrs 
or fawns or are masculine. Uh, and then also all of a lot of the nature gods are also masculine deities, which is interesting. I don't know what that says. I could Mother not. Earth is ultimately is, a woman. Yes. And I, yeah, I, I could not tell you what that means, but I know it's important. I read a lot of gender theory, and so I can recognize <laughs> that it's important. Yeah. I think it's interesting to track from like Gaia to Pan to then the satyrs and like the Council of Cloven Elders, like how society has like transitioned from being matriarchal to patriarchal to matriarchal to patriarchal throughout history, as opposed to what historians believe, which is that it has always been patriarchal. Um, yeah. And that is not true <laughs> by any means. Yeah. True history has simply been more patriarchal since written text was yes. developed and therefore the people exactly. writing. Bad things have happened. <laughs> Bad things have happened. Mm-hmm. No one ever should have written anything down. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. My brain doesn't remember anything beyond 30 seconds ago and look how great I'm doing. That, very that. <laughs> could, yeah, I feel like every, society, the environment, everything would be better if we just stopped writing things down. <laughs> And with that, (laughs) that where else do we see stubbornness? I love your choice of stubbornness, Brayden. I'm assuming Brayden chose it. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. It was Brayden. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every podcast has like an unofficial like boss man who does the editing. And that's me (laughs) for CB Brayden. That's Brayden for Return to Camp. Um, But I like stubborn because it's a word that has a negative connotation similarly to the word like impertinent which is a big word yeah. for the series percy is impertinent that's his big thing mm. um and they're not the exact same quality but they're pretty similar like being stubborn and being impertinent and it's obviously something that tracks differently for men and women in these books what is stubborn right because that naiad you know nariad whatever i'm sorry i don't know the difference sticking up for herself was like someone might be like that was a stubborn like thing to do or it was like hashtag girl power um hashtag girl boss hashtag feminism and all that stuff so <laughs> I think it's history, interesting man. yeah I think that Percy um chooses impersonance and chooses stubbornness in the most positive way possible in his choice to not do what Hercules did he says I can't like even if I this doesn't work out like he's like I have no idea what I'm gonna do but I know I can't do that um and that's a big deal for him like going from the way that he was stubborn in Titan's Curse to choosing this kind of stubbornness, I think is important. And yeah, stubborn, I think is something we also associate with like kids, like little kids. So like Nico is very much a little stubborn kid right now. He doesn't want to let go of Bianca. He doesn't want to forgive Percy. He doesn't want to like listen to them. He doesn't want to go with them on the quest. Like he's going to do his own thing. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Did I have an end to that sentence? Uh... I don't think so. <laughs> All right, you know, Nico is stubborn. I want to keep going with Nico is stubborn, but I also I just want to go back to quickly to before we move on from the, the the river because I think it's interesting to see Percy's choice here that he is realizing the consequences of his actions for yes. one of the first times in these books. Period. We don't see a lot of the consequences from the prior books manifest quite yet, but. As we go down, I mean, Nico is the biggest obvious one, but it also makes me think of Reyna on Cersei's Island um, and mm-hmm. how that that's the, one of the other biggest ones I can think of is 
the consequences of what him and Annabeth did on Cersei's Island really spun out into um, Reyna. And what's what's his his sister's name? I can't. Hilla. Hilla. That really like has a huge impact on their lives and completely changes their lives. And he has no idea that he did it. Right. Until Son of Neptune. And that's like very interesting t- to track his him finally realizing that he is a person. I think this is this is just something yes. that 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 you learn as you grow up that you're a yes. person who impacts the world. Yes, that is a huge so like buildings Roman, right? Build buildings Roman. The coming of age, coming of age books, like that's a huge component of coming age books is like understanding that your actions have consequences. And there's actually I was just searching my own notes for this reference, but there's a book by Kenneth Miller called Coming of Age in a Contemporary American Fiction, which is lovely and it kind of tracks like how contemporary coming of age books are are a lot more different, like in the like two thousands and stuff, since like um in the twenty first century versus twentieth century coming of age books and something that is different about the coming of age books we write now is like it's important not only do you come of age in your own like little space you learn like about your consequences but you understand like the system of the world the you know the patriarchy of it all the, the racism of it all and you have to examine that system and then see whether where you fit into it and recognize if you're going to like uphold it or break it and this is a very this is a big moment for Percy in that system of saying okay this is the way things have gone traditionally I'm a Greek hero I'm a man am I going to do what has been done or am I going to break it? And he says, I'm going to break it. And that's a huge coming of age moment. And it's, I like to think it's because of that decision that he accesses all these new powers because he recognizes that he, like he, he does, he makes the right choice. Oh no. He makes the right choice and he gets like rewarded for it from like fate. And I think that's beautiful. It's the going back to the, the power was inside him the whole time. And he learns that the power is inside him and he learns the consequences of that power being inside him. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's a very, it's like the power knows him. Like it's very catered yes. to Percy um, because kind of the primary place that I saw stubbornness was um, when the water wouldn't turn off. And so it was almost like his subconscious is coming to bite him in the ass, you know, like he, it won't turn off because he is so naturally that way that like this other almost pseudo alive part of him is also going to challenge him and be that way because he's like if the other thing like this other consciousness that is in, like inside this body is going to be so this way you know I'm going to get back at him you know and so I think it helps him deal with himself and his impulses more when he learns that about himself like he almost gets to see himself um from a distance sort of like and his tendencies to be very stubborn and to have to fight for and and for other people having to fight against him and his stubbornness to get what they want um so it's almost like he gets another glance at it which again like goes with the self-awareness that you guys were talking about so I just thought that was really really interesting and and like further I think it very specifically deals with his privilege too Mm -hmm. um yeah it it talks about him being the son of Poseidon and Mm -hmm. and the Nereid is like, just because you're the son of Poseidon doesn't mean you can boss me around. And also, really, the horses are like, yeah, you're the son of Poseidon. Like, we're going to, is he there? Like, come, I'll eat him too. I'm just horses, hungry. 
nurses are such an important part throughout this entire, throughout every Camp Half-Blood novel, multiple series of keeping Percy in check. The horses are constantly keeping Percy in check of all, all, all of them are communicating with him. Only he can hear them. And they're like, you're so annoying. Like, shut up. Like, <laughs> Arian is constantly yelling at Percy. And I just, I'm grateful for it. Keep himself aware. Keep him in check. <laughs> I think it's also interesting. We We both see, we see two places in which, his privilege affects him strongly. And it's the fact that with the horses, this is the first time his privilege isn't helping him. And with the Nereid, his privilege is now getting in the way. Even though, but he's faced with the, like he could compromise his values and use his privilege, but he doesn't. And I, I just think all of this working together is just really strong writing um, and just some great character development for Percy. It's interesting because he's finally kind of able to see how he operates um, in a bunch of different entities that are kind of part of him all at once. And he's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is me, but like in one person, that's whoa, you know? So I think like from now, like from this point on, he doesn't necessarily operate with as much blind recklessness, you know, as like he used to, because like he did have the opportunity to kind of see all these different parts of himself. Um, and he's kind of like, oh, I'm a little difficult, you know? Self-awareness is power, period. <laughs> I think we also see a lot of stubbornness in ne the Nico scene in all of them. Uh, we Nico's the most obvious source of stu stubbornness. He really just wants his sister back and he's very committed to that. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think this goes back to what you were saying earlier about how just like, when is it stubbornness and when is it standing up for yourself? I think with Nico, it's stubbornness, <laughs> but. What is grief if not love enduring? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <but laughs> I'm not over it. I never will be. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's having, he's, he, he needs to process his trauma and it's, it's coming out in the form of grudges and, and stubbornness and everything like that. Cause he's a little kid and he doesn't have any guidance and he's pushing away everyone who's trying to be a mentor figure for him, except for. Minos, who is able to take advantage of him and in his vulnerable state and turn him into a weapon. And yeah. it's funny because like you'd think that if he was trying to push away anyone who kind of reminded him of, of this mentor that he assumes kind of like was responsible for the downfall of his sister, like he would also push away Minos because he's so aggressively trying to help and so you know, blatantly manipulating him and stuff. And like, you'd think that he'd be the, <laughs> my roommates are loud. Um, you'd think that he would be the first person that Nico would try to push away. But it's really interesting that he's not. I think it's kind of like that toxic mentor relationship where it's like, oh no, you're different because you're powerful, you know, which is, I, it's so fucked. I also think it has to do with, I think, I think Nico thinks he's in control of the relationship because his powers put him in a position to be in control of kind of how Minos manifests and that whole vague ghost rules that don't make any sense actually, but like are just used as plot devices. Uh, but Nico thinks he's in control of this relationship. He's able to gain mentorship while still being in control. He, he tells Minos what he wants Minos to tell him a lot of the time. 
And so while Minos really is working him and has his own agenda, Nico still thinks he's in control and that's why he doesn't push him away. Yeah, super common. I feel like the more you look for it, the more you see it in um, like American literature and like fantasy books and stuff like that. When somebody is, is vulnerable and has epic power that has been untapped, there will be a supervillain standing in the wings ready to manipulate this young child. Um, what instantly comes to mind is like Fantastic Beasts. What's his name? Creed? Credence. Name? Credence. Credence. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. very real. Very similar situation. Um, but yeah, there's lots of those. That's so real. We'll never know how that ends. What's his face? Um, the captain of a uh, sword uh, in WandaVision. Oh, uh, Hayward. 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 Hayward manipulating Ugh, Wanda in, in her time of grief and vulnerability into getting what he wants. And oh. Agatha. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do, do we do we all finish WandaVision? Yes, sir. We did indeed. No, I, we won't spoil WandaVision. I mean, if you if you haven't finished it by now on this Wednesday, what are you doing? Yeah, but, I also yeah. feel disrespected by you. Yeah. Priority straight. This time I do too. <laughs> I just I'm just interested. What what is like our, our brief like one sentence? Like how did we feel about the finale? <laughs> I feel like we've Sorry. talked about WandaVision at least once a week on this podcast. Oh, so we I do. think it's important. We My do. co-host and I just, we tried to record a special episode about something, but it, we recorded it on Friday night. And so we just ended up talking about WandaVision the entire time. And I felt really bad about it, but I actually really, really liked the series finale. I know a lot of people didn't, but I really did. I liked it too. It just made me sad. <laughs> I think if I were to give a one sentence, okay. Um, kind of recap of like all of my feelings. Um, there are going to be a lot of semicolons, I think, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I am still baffled by how deeply manipulative and narcissistic Agatha is. Um, and it's really kind of terrifying. Um, and also I, the way it ended made me want to hibernate for six months but also was done very well because it kind of gave me hope for and the things I know about the comics like I think there will be more content and it will be good but as of right now I'm in mourning I agree (laughs) I agree with everything you said yeah I did cry I did not cry I just kind of I got really angry and um I had bought a snow cone machine and so I made snow cones <laughs> for, for my roommates out of my anger. Aww. Yeah. That's awesome. That takes, I mean, someone from speaking with someone from Hawaii, that make that takes a lot of work. It's hard work to grind up that ice and then and then pat it down. Go off. That's real. <laughs> That's a healthy coping mechanism. Get out your aggression. It is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My biggest takeaway from WandaVision, my biggest, or rather, my biggest complaint was the way they did Kath and Han dirty with that freaking makeup. How dare I know? How dare they give her a stage makeup unibrow for the film for for TV and film? That was ridiculous. Of it looked so bad. Someone and like, like should get her her hands <laughs> did look cool though. Like her fucking yes, fingers. They did something about that was great. The hand choreo of, of I've always been impressed by the Scarlet Witch hand choreo. Yes, too. I yes. agree with you. So witchy. it's epic, <laughs> and I love how they do the transitions um for Wanda's costumes, but like. <gasps> Wanda's costume was the best part of the entire series. I fall in love with that woman every single episode. The way that she is awakening so many queer women right now. Literally. Ridiculous. (laughs) They took Wanda Maximoff from being like a side character to being like the next great queer icon in nine episodes. They really did. 
And it's amazing and it makes me very happy because Wanda's always been my favorite character and they've done nothing with her. She's also Scarlet Witch is also one of my favorite comic book characters. Like kind of just because I like Young, Young Avengers brought me into liking Scarlet Witch. But um, yeah, it just, it made me happy. I love our nine episode origin story for why uh, she dresses like that. <laughs> Literally, so much effort. <laughs> and it's worth it. It's such a good costume. <laughs> it's so worth it. It is horrendously worth it. I just have to triple echo that. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's every episode too. And I'm like, it is so mean that you're making me fall in love with you every single time, every week. It's a little exhausting to be frank, but. Yeah. I, I do think they should win an Emmy for costume design. They should, except, and they should be like, Emmy for WandaVision for costume design, except for the makeup you did on Catherine Hahn. On Catherine Hahn, <laughs> yeah. Because I feel so strongly about that. Like, I might yeah. have to go rewatch some Parks and Rec um, and be like, this was <laughs> yes, good. This is. was good makeup. This is a good costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am very confident that the, this finale episode terrified Diego. Um, oh, for sure. When, when, when did he, he watch out. it? I'm sure he did. When he was on our podcast two weeks ago, was like, this show is too scary. (laughs) And this finale was was definitely the most scary out of them. Yeah, it was Um, essentially scary. I was crying. Yes, me too. Mm -hmm. All right. We should definitely go back to Percy Jackson. But the last thing I'll say is I think they set up Young Avengers really well. And I don't think it's going to come too soon, which I was scared about. I think it's, I set it up very nicely also i'm excited for the next little series oh yes Falcon i'm Winter excited Soldier. for doctor strange and the multiverse of madness me too and spider-man all right uh i the, the last place i want to talk about stubbornness in these chapters is annabeth in that sphinx scene because i mean it's a little on the nose but i think it's a great character moment for her in which we see her 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 fatal flaws play out very literally. It's almost hard to watch because it's like it's just the that moment like in a horror movie where you're like, don't go through the door. Just don't don't go through the door. The monster's behind the door. And then yeah. she does. She's just so like <laughs> she has been so frazzled for this whole book, right? Like she went from being missing in Titan's Curse to being thrust this great responsibility and feeling like she doesn't know what to do with it and being so overwhelmed and then she gets to this breaking point and this is I do see this as her breaking point before we get to the actual um Daedalus workshop and it's just like it's it's hard to read because it's relatable I think you're like you're exhausted and you wanted this one victory for yourself and it's like they're pitying you it's like the universe won't even let you prove yourself when the time when you finally get like an opportunity where you feel like you're capable of doing this one part of this quest and then she doesn't get to do it. It's very frustrating. <laughs> and it's wild too because she can still do it, but then it's suddenly beneath her. She's like anyone could do this. Like this is no longer special for me because uh... I am better than this. <laughs> And like she cannot have nice things. She cannot have nice things. She she can't let herself win. She cannot let herself hasn't have it. She's created this world for herself in which everything kind of has to be a struggle. Mm. And so when it's not, I think she looks for the like, okay, well, this is too easy. What's the trick? She's a big, big self-saboteur. Like it's 
to such a degree and i'm like i'm like Sorry, girly I'm really we the same hits right now no me just- that was a direct at at me like don't even worry you were like she has to make things hard to feel accomplished and i was like uh-oh I know, I know. And I think it's also like, cause she's been through so many hard things that she's yes. like, well, where's the, that's the way life where is it? It's somewhere. Uh-huh. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't need this, Rick. Uh-huh. I don't. No, I'm de- very self-aware. I definitely think we can all relate to that in, a, in Annabeth a little bit. It's very much, Annabeth is the person who has an assignment due at 3am and stays up to 2am to do it. And complains about it, but and- still gets an A. Yes, exactly. Then I really relate to that, like making things hard for myself when like I won't if an assignment doesn't feel like enough of a challenge for me, like not even consciously, just very subconsciously, I'll be like, well, it'll be more fulfilling if I I do last minute. Fair. And I think that's very much the place she comes from. And it's a very weird scene in the fact that it's also like we said, a, a metaphor for standardized testing, but almost in like the opposite way, like because they're they're like the standardized testing is too easy. Yeah, but it's also like it it's easy, but I think the whole thing is like, well, this isn't what it should be. So you're acting like this is normal when in reality it's tripping everyone up. That's true. I think it's also like commentary on how standardized testing is not accessible for people with learning disabilities. And I don't like the word learning disabilities because the it's not the learning that's disabled, it's the system of of teaching Points. that that is incorrect. So I don't like saying learning disabilities, but I, I don't have better language to discuss it. Um, but people with with ADD and dyslexia aren't not smart. Annabeth is one of the smartest people in the world. <laughs> I think that is what we established by the end of this book. Uh, but the if the test isn't built for her, she could still fail it, and she does fail it not because not because she doesn't even know the answers. She just can't handle the format. That they're being asked. Yes, she can. She is saying no to the format. Period. Which is why we need to to change standardized testing, test optional schools. The SATs are awful. Shout yeah, out every, I mean everything was test SAT optional was this seven. year, so. That's yeah. true. I hope that sticks. Yeah, I, yeah. I hope it does too. Mm-hmm. It's funny also because I think Rick is really drilling in the point that like he's making format look so stupid and like it is but it's like so many people stress it as being like important just because it is and I'm like you can't just say it and like have it be so because it doesn't actually make logical sense to care about the format more than the actual content but like so many systems do and Rick is just kind of like well this sphinx is just spouting off nonsense so like do that what you will and yeah, I mean, standardized testing, the literal SAT developed as a tool for eugenicists, eugenics scientists to root out who is the inferior race. Shout out to the institutions that place emphasis on SATs today, being the ones that championed eugenics in the first place. Um, so it was good for Rick for calling this out way back in the early 2000s. Yeah, and it's like very much the, the scene is it's all about the pomp and circumstance of mm-hmm. testing. 
and it's you either get you either pass or you get eaten <laughs> and those are the only two options and it's it's obviously an extreme circumstance but it's also not because expect i think like as a society we've gotten a little better at, at how important standardized testings are for for college and um graduation progress but it's still they still all feel the feeling i don't know if that much has changed since we've been in high school that um <laughs> that standardized testings are even that much better but um yeah <laughs> yeah is it time for sassy moments sure I still have to find mine. I do as well. <laughs> is this, per remind me, is this Percy being sassy? Any of them. <laughs> because it started off as Percy sass moments and it's devolved. I mean, I, I have one. Okay. Obviously, the entirety of Annabeth's chapter is a big Annabeth sass moment. Um, but for me, it's this line on the bottom of page 167, um, where Bianca is talking, the ghost of Bianca is talking to Nico, and Bianca's like, I have to go because you called a bunch of ghosts here and Kronos is stirring because of it. And like, you have to let go of me, Nico. And Annabeth says, she's right. Kronos is rising, Nico, and he'll twist anyone he can to his cause. Like, you are ripe to be, you are ripe to be manipulated. Everyone can see it. We need you to like mature just a little bit, even though you shouldn't have to. And he says, I don't care about Kronos, Nico said. I just want my sister back. Bianca says, you can't have that, Nico. And he says, I'm the son of Hades. I can. Aww. It's like a little funny, but also just very it's a, it's, sad. it's funny and sad at the same time. Like yeah. he's being a little shit, but like you feel bad for him. Yeah, <laughs> iconic behavior. He's oh, absolutely. Like, I, don't I don't care. I'm what is he? 11? 10? 11, 11, 12. Yeah. The ages so get so confusing so fast. Yeah, they do. He straight up said, "I don't care about the fate of the universe. I want my sister back. I am the child of Hades. I can do whatever I want." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nico needs to check his privilege a little bit. Yeah, and he's gonna like low key maintain that frame of mind for a while. <laughs> he really does. Yeah, and he stepped into it quickly, like impressive. Mm -hmm. Powerful. Mine is another little kid being a little shit. Um, is on uh, page one seventy two. The king loved it. Perdix said he said I might be even smarter than you, and that was the moment in which Perdix was dying. <laughs> Yo, I would have pushed Perdix off the cliff too. I would too. <laughs> that was that'd be it. Reed, he's so fucking annoying. He is annoying. That would have been it for me. Mm -mm. Yeah, I don't blame Daedalus. I'm sorry. No, me neither. <laughs> he also like didn't completely push him off. He just like encouraged him to fall. Revisionist <laughs> mm. history. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. Mine isn't a little kid, but it's Grover. So um parallels um so percy goes we'll figure out something you haven't failed you're the champion goat boy all right juniper knows that so do i and he goes grover closes his eyes champion goat boy he muttered dejectedly <laughs> i love that for him it's Aww. so funny uh our little goat boy oh grover yeah 
I don't give him enough credit. He deserves so much credit. I, I love him. Lot. I give him we, more credit than I my my credit is not equally spread. It's like Grover. <laughs> <don't we? laughs> no, our our podcast is very at least like staunchly pro Grover. We're a Grover Stan podcast. <laughs> and that's the biggest difference between seaweed brain and return to camp out. True. Everything else, like there are parallels. <laughs> it's like funny. We're like pretty pretty anti-Percy. Often anti-Annabeth too, only but strongly because- only because not anymore. But early with on, the Tyson it was stuff. with the Tyson stuff. We are strongly pro Grover and Tyson. We are, and we. I'm convincing everyone to be pro Clarice. I think I'm also, I, we're also pro Clarice podcast. I've gotten there. Yeah, my impact. <laughs> All right, who are we giving offerings for this week? Um, that's hard. It's really hard this week, I feel like. I can go first then. Okay. My offering this week is for the the Nyad, the Nereid. I don't remember which one she is. And I feel bad because I am giving an offering for her. I feel like they did say her name too. And I just can't remember it. And I feel like one is freshwater and one is saltwater, but I can't remember which is which. I agree. One is freshwater and one is saltwater. I just have no idea. But my offering is for her because she was faced with a bully and stood up in the face of him. And yes, that bully was Perseus Jackson himself. And he needed he needed to check himself and before he wrecked himself. And she did that. She did that for him. And she I think her her what she's done for Percy's whole character arc goes underrated and I think we should thank her for that I agree yeah I can go (laughs) (laughs) um that I think that's a very solid offer Brayden I would also do that but I'm going to give some some sending some love and some vibes to Bianca for coming back from the dead to help her brother out she not only did she die a premature death not only while she was alive was she forced to take care of her brother and take on a mothering role when they were orphaned at a very young age but she is disturbed from her living her life her best life in the isles of the blessed or elysium or whichever one it is uh, to come back to see nico and to say hey i am your sister you have to listen to me and doing her darn best and then and forgiving the person who was slightly responsible for her death, Percy, and encouraging others to do the same. She's just such a queen through and through in life and death. She is a queen. She is a queen. We are also a Bianca Stan podcast. Yes. I mean, of course, that goes without saying. It does indeed, but I, you know. <laughs> um, this is tough <laughs> because Percy did a great job. But I don't know if I don't I'm do ever, it. I don't think I'm ever gonna do it unless I feel really moved, you know, by the spirit. But um, <laughs> I am not at the moment. I think okay, Grover. So I think Grover's just really having a hard time with like accepting he just he can't accept that. I don't know. I feel really bad for him because I think he's like the only destiny for me is this, you know, almost impossible task and I feel worthless without it. And I'm like, that must be so hard on you, honey. (laughs) You know, like it must be very, very difficult. And he misses Juniper and he just didn't really ask for a lot of this. 
Um, and all he wants to do is find Pam. And he has been, you know, disturbed from that quest so many times. And I feel bad for him. So yes, my offering is for Grover. Um, there's always a reason to give an offering to Grover. There is. Um, and I found it this week. So I call that a success. For voting off the island this week, I'm going to do an obvious one, and I, I have to go with Minos this week, because strictly for the act of him, like, cutting in line and, like, drinking from the thing, it just felt, like, too much. Like, why? Cutters there was too much. Uh-uh. Line cutters? Mm-mm. That's a, yeah, <laughs> Everything else, I agree. <laughs> but cutting the fucking line? Hell no. Who else? I'm gonna give one to Luke for the cargo pants. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> that's it. It's just I mean, go that's off. enough. That, that it's enough. <laughs> Can I vote off Perdix for being so annoying? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think he already got voted off. <laughs> but <laughs> so you can do it again. <laughs> Honestly. I'm so glad you said that because I'm like, like realistically, the person who should be voted off is Daedalus, right? Like he did kill yeah. a child, but like, I do agree that Perdix, Perdix deserves to be voted off for being an annoying child who deserved to die. And also like in Greek mythology, killing a child is not super rare. Like Harris <laughs> is a baby off a mountain. Like It's just par for the course. It is par for the course. We can't have such high expectations of these people. All right, folks, that is all for this week. Join us next week when we will be rejoined by Divya Bhatia from the Activists in Progress podcast. And we will be discussing chapters 11 and 12. I set myself on fire and I take a permanent vacation through the theme of purpose. And follow us on social media anywhere at Return to Camp. Check out our website, returntocamp.com, for more information. And thank you so much, Erica, for being here. Tell our listeners where they can find you. Um, you can listen to my podcast with my co-host Carter. It's called Seaweed Brain. You on all platforms. Follow us on Instagram at Seaweed Brain Podcast or Twitter at Seaweed Brain Pod. This week we should be releasing our um, special episode on the Amazons and the history of the Amazons and Wonder Woman um, in honor of hashtag Women's History Month. So stop on by. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Yes, yeah, filling in last minute. Thank you so much. <laughs> cool. Goodbye. See you next week.